This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, February 27th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, mental health in the mountains. County unveils communications plan. Bills become law at the state legislature. And a mountain weather forecast. The San Juan Mountains are a beautiful, adventure-filling, and stoke-inducing place. But with the joy of the mountains also comes danger, accident, and heartbreak. This week, the Telluride Mountain Club is partnering with the Wilkinson Public Library for a Mental Health in the Mountains event. According to Heidi Lauterbach, director of the Mountain Club, the idea for the event arose as the organization was planning their annual fundraiser. The Mountain Club historically has hosted a winter fundraising film night every year. And as we were putting that event together, you know, we wanted to honor some of these friends of lives that we've lost to mountain sports Mm -hmm. over the last several years. Mm -hmm. And when we were going through that process, you know, we realized that we were still really sad about these deaths and that we had some trauma and a lot of grief associated with it. So, she says, the club changed gears. We totally pivoted that whole event concept to provide a free community event. Um, And the hope is that people will walk away with resources or tools to help with their own grief and trauma related to their own experiences, the mountains, or potentially these same events that, that we were struggling with as well. Joanna Spindler, adult program specialist at the Wilkinson Public Library, notes in a community like Telluride, there's an understandable want to focus on the joy and excitement of living in the mountains. But in the small canyon, the harder emotions also ricochet off the walls. She says that's what the event aims to reflect. Not just telling stories of like the happy and shiny side of this, but also understanding that it comes with a whole spectrum of emotions. And that means everything from, you know, some of the really, really hard things, the the loss, the grief, secondary trauma, if you've had somebody close to you die or you've been involved in a a rescue or recovery. Um, Of course, our community has dealt with suicide and that kind of loss. So those are some of the like really heavy things. But also in this community, we deal with a ton of burnout, people working really hard and sort of hand in hand with that goes with um, FOMO, just being like, oh, God, everybody's out except for me. There's a lot of anxiety about our sports. Um, there's weird, you know, we all have like our jealousy and our anger, our intense emotions. And at some of the recent Abbey Chats, some people have brought up stuff about guilt. Like, oh, I saw that this person, you know, pulled a plug on that trip that day and I went. So there's these really complex emotions and sometimes they just rattle around. Lauterbach says the event will provide a mix of tools for individuals to take away. We are going to be showing a few short films to start the evening. Um, And then we're going to go into an open panel discussion with some of the athletes, some partners of people, and then two licensed um, therapists and counselors who are going to be coming from out of town who are... um, well-practiced and trained in this outdoor grief and trauma area. Spindler adds, in addition to stories and thought-provoking conversation, they want to provide nuts and bolts information for individuals looking for support. Some of the questions that'll be covered are even like, how do you find a good therapist or counselor for if you're really looking for somebody who you can talk to about avalanche death, you know, and we'll have people that we can connect people with for that? Or when do you know that you should probably reach out to your friend and say, like, do you need some mental health help? 
Lauterbach highlights she wants people to leave feeling a sense of community with action to take if they want or need. I think one of the really unique things about our community is that we're really tight-knit, and sometimes it's easier to process things when you know you're not the only one going through something. And so for an event like this, for us all to be able to sit in the same room and share emotions that aren't easy. So hopefully people walk away feeling, you know, better about their own emotions and what to do with them and how to handle them in the future and then things that they can use in in the future as well. The Mental Health in the Mountains event will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Wednesday, March 1st, starting at 5.30 p.m., but individuals are encouraged to stop by whenever they can, even if it's a little late. Never before has San Miguel County had a fully developed communications plan, nor a point person to manage county outreach and publicity. Both of those things are changing. The county recently hired a staff person to oversee communications. And meanwhile, County Assistant Manager James Van Hooser unveiled the first ever county communications plan at a work session of the commissioners last week. Van Hooser says it all begins with a simple goal. So the meat of our plan really starts with our mission, uh, which I have outlined is very simply is telling the San Miguel County story, its goals, actions and successes. Van Hooser clarifies there are specific things this plan does not address. This communications plan are not encompassing uh, sheriff's office and emergency response communications. That is still housed under um, the sheriff's office. They have their own public information officer and their own emergency response uh, plans. More specific goals of the plan include laying out best practices for the county when communicating with its public and inviting their input. Van Hooser says there is also an internal element to the plan. And then we also want to inform, educate, and engage county employees about the policies, procedures, and information that they need to be successful at their jobs. Something I've noticed in organizations is that there can be so much focus on the external communication that the internal communication piece uh, just gets lip service or is not thought about in a comprehensive communications plan way. The county's plan, Van Hooser says, aims to avoid those blind spots and create guidelines for internal communications as well. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper says she feels this focus is important and sees internal and external communications as linked. I totally agree with your emphasis on internal communications as well. We are a team or and we are our best sort of marketing agents or our worst. Um, and if we are not informed as to the jobs that are uh, being posted or the RFPs that are being posted or other things like that, then we cannot market the county. So I think in terms of mission, however, Cooper says the plan is less about, quote, telling the story of San Miguel County, unquote, and more about the practical side of keeping residents informed. To me, it's it's very much informing the public uh, in order to get public participation and increase public awareness of what local government does for you, in this case, what county government does for you, there's a very practical purpose to a local government communication plan. It's not necessarily like we're trying to generate revenue or sell a product. It is very practically speaking, we need to inform 
um, the general public. Aside from a handful of specific line edits, the commissioners voice approval of the plan and will look to formally adopt it in a future meeting. Suzanne Chevins took up the position as San Miguel County Communications Coordinator on February 27th. Colorado's legislative session is chugging along, with Governor Jared Polis signing his first bill of the session into law. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods brings the latest. Hey, Lucas, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. As always, happy to be here. So I first wanted to touch on um, maybe not the most exciting bill of the session, but a kind of monumental day. Governor Jared Polis signed his first bill from this session into law last week. Um, Can you share a little bit what that one was looking at? Of course, yeah. You know, as you said, it's not necessarily the most exciting bill um, on its face value, but it, it does help provide funding for uh, water infrastructure projects across the state. And basically, you know, the bill was somewhat procedural in that it basically approved a list of eligible infrastructure projects across the state. And these would be projects that actually deal with um, drinking water and wastewater and storm runoff. So it's, it's a little bit less about water storage and water supply as it is about water quality. I also wanted to touch base with you on Colorado's Youth Advisory Council. This is um, a group of young people who assist in kind of the the lawmaking process, and they just got um, the green light from um, part of the legislature to continue on. Can you share a little bit about what the work that um, this group does and, and why the legislature sees them as important? Well, one thing I've heard from legislators themselves is that, you know, whenever they see bills that are brought forward by the Youth Advisory Council, they're bills that cover things they haven't really thought about um, as adults. And and so I think the legislature recognizes that the Youth Advisory Council is an important voice for Coloradans and and specifically young people in Colorado. And and the group, just to clarify, it's, it's a group of 35 to 40 members, I believe, from across the state. There's one representative from each Senate district and then one representative from each of the tribes in Colorado. And then there are three at-large members um, that uh, ensure diversity um, and different perspectives, rural, urban, you know, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, et cetera, um, on the council. So this group works together every year to bring forward recommendations. Uh, Essentially, they pick legislation. Um, to the General Assembly, and uh, they, you know, find various sponsors to support them in this. And I'm very interested in their work just because they, you know, again, come up with policy ideas that others aren't really thinking of. And one that I'm looking at this year, this this session right now, coming up this week, we have a couple of bills that are getting hearings that deal with eating disorders and eating disorder treatment here in Colorado. And the Youth Advisory Council put forward one of these bills, which uh, would create an Office of Disordered Eating Prevention here in Colorado, which which would be tasked with addressing this problem of eating disorders. I, I heard this week that, you know, at least 10% of Coloradans are diagnosed with an eating disorder, and that's just the ones that are diagnosed. Um, there's there's many more that go undiagnosed. So so I think that these are some, you know, interesting angles to policy that need to be addressed 
um, that are intertwined with other things. You know, eating disorders and suicide prevention are, are related. Um, you know, one of the the most common cause of death for people with an eating disorder, uh, young people with an eating disorder, is suicide. So these are important things. And then another bill that the Youth Advisory Council has brought forward deals with um, screenings for substance abuse um, in schools and a and developing a system that schools can use to identify students with substance use issues and um, provide brief intervention through resources and offering resources to these these students. So there's a variety of of interesting bills that. That Colorado Youth Advisory Council, also known as COYOC, has been putting forward this this session. Yeah, that's all very interesting stuff. Um, finally, I wanted to chat with you briefly about a bill that would look to um, would impact rent control across the state. What would this bill do? Yeah, this is a bit of a controversial one. Um, this is put forth by Democratic representatives and senators. Um, and, and, you know, to clarify, this bill does not impose rent control or do anything at the state level to impose rent control. What this bill does is it would give local governments the ability to pass and impose rent control or rent stabilization ordinances. It wouldn't impose them. It would just, as the sponsors say, put this tool in the toolkit of these local governments to um, try to keep prices down. It's very, very controversial. It, it is supported by the majority of Democrats, which means that it has advanced, you know, through, through the House. It, it actually just passed its final vote in the House um, this morning. But um, there, there are some Democrats that are against this, um, even though it got the approval of the majority and one very significant Democrat who has expressed his opposition to this is Governor Jared Polis himself. Um, he has long expressed his opposition to rent control as economic policy. And so, you know, it, it, this bill may have a tougher time making its way through the Senate because there's less of a of a majority there. So it's hard to say what the chances are, but so far so good as far as this bill is concerned. Yeah. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver. Weeks of good snowfall means one thing. It's time to get out the shovel or plow. This week, the town of Telluride will be plowing the Shandoka parking lot. The town will plow the south side of the lot on Tuesday, February 28th, and the north side of the lot on Friday, March 3rd, both days from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Cars left on the plow side of the lot on the plow day will be ticketed and towed. Snow totals in the upper Colorado River Basin have already reached their average annual peak, months earlier than usual. High mountain snow is still piling up, past the normal amount that's on the ground when it starts to melt off in the spring. Usually, that total isn't reached until early April. Mountain snow turns into the Colorado River, which supplies water to 40 million people throughout the southwest. Climate scientists say this wet winter is likely to help prop up depleted reservoirs, but won't be enough to turn around a decades-long mega-drought. The southwest would need five to six consecutive wet winters to chip away at the supply-demand imbalance that is straining the region's water supply. 
a Tewa Hopi musician and educator, recently performed at the Canyon of the Ancients Visitor Center and Museum in Dolores. Ed Kabodi is a provocative artist who mixes music and history from an indigenous perspective. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. Under dim lighting, Ed Cabote plays a wooden flute at the Canyon of the Ancients Auditorium. Behind him, an archival image of Puebloan ruins is illuminated on a projection screen. Within a few moments, this serious tone gives way to humor. Christopher Columbus discovered America. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> With a mixture of song and humor and some strong opinions, Cabote challenges his audience to reconsider our notion of history. Well, but the Vikings may have done it centuries before that. Well, hello, the Native Americans did it centuries and centuries, millennia before any of that. Hello, you guys aren't the only ones that can figure out how to maneuver a boat. You know what I'm saying? The crowd in attendance appears to be mostly, if not entirely, white. Ed Kabodi identifies as Tewa and Hopi. His performance touches on race, colonialism, and equity in the complicated history of North America. It's challenging material, even for an audience full of progressive, well-meaning white people. As a Native American, when you hear somebody give a land acknowledgement, at the end of it, I come to the conclusion, so why are you still here? We're acknowledging extreme injustice, glossing it over, and patting ourselves on the back for doing it. Hope it land if I forget you, let my right hand forget what it's supposed to do. Stay when we were burned in the oven in the 17th century, then tried to conquer, but them can't conquer me. Ed Cabote grew up on Tewa lands in New Mexico and Hopi lands in Arizona. When he sings, his face is filled with emotion. that a German is not Spanish. Sometimes Cabote draws uncomfortable laughter from the crowd. And an English person is not Dutch, etc., etc. But when it comes to us, we're all Native American. You know? Oh, you're Native American? Do you know this guy in South Dakota? (laughs) (laughs) It happens a lot more than you think. (laughs) During the Q&A, the audience is eager to ask Cabote about the solutions he sees to injustices. And I'm not critiquing anyone in the negative, but we're... And afterward, a number of people approach him on stage. One woman asks whether performing this material is emotionally difficult. Cabote is gentle and self-effacing, but later he says it is challenging. There's a lot of times when it's draining, exhausting, <laughs> you know, disheartening. But the work also has its own strength and momentum, and it gives energy. When we're following what we believe in, right, when we're pursuing a calling on our life, it brings its own energy. The visitor center at Canyon of the Ancients was built by the United States government to manage and curate Native American ancestry. Ed Cabote's appearance there challenges the legitimacy of that museum and even the park itself. His ideas are provocative, challenging, and worth listening to. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. 
The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 50 miles per hour. Less than one inch of snow accumulation is possible. Tuesday, there's an 80% chance of snow showers with wind gusts as high as 50 miles per hour. Two to five inches of snow accumulation is possible. The high is in the mid-20s with a low around 15 degrees. Wednesday calls for snow showers with a high near freezing and wind gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Wednesday night should see snow showers with a low around 10 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, February 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.